Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Honey Pop double date of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Showing Anime Girls my collection of LLN tapes. And I am the Black Metal Guy, aka uh, Squinting Hard Out the Window at Something Nobody Can See. <laughs> it feels like, yeah, I mean, you live in a basement though, do you even have a window? I have a I have one nice big window facing luckily facing the southern sky so that's that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's not yeah. bad. It's, um, yeah, it's 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 a fine it's a fine basement. But yes, I'm I'm immune to when any anyone says you just live in a fucking basement. I can be like damn straight. <laughs> it's underground, man. For an underground guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. We have some heartbreaking news for you. Friendship ended with Grizzly Butts. Now, another metal blog will be our best friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got we got to find a new uh got to find a new sugar daddy. Oh uh, yeah, no, I've been uh, I've yeah, been making inroads so. with some of our buddies, you know. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> nice. So um yeah, well uh what what exactly happened? How would you describe well, this? I mean, you're the uh, you're the more measured and charitable one. Um, <laughs> maybe it's fair that you describe. I'll, all it. right, I'll go first. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, what happened to the? Uh, it appears that um, mysteriously, all of the uh, all of the links to our material that had been on Grizzly Butts' site disappeared. That includes the the only thing left there are some mentions in news articles where he then links to our post somewhere, and those links are all dead. The original post about our site, link dead. Uh, all of we appear to have been purged. Um, and the only way one can explain this is that uh, I, I had an exchange with him where he was very unhappy about our Stargazer review. <laughs> he said so he's i'll just you know i'm not gonna you know drag everyone everything through the mud but he uh he said he's he, you know he uh he he said something fairly insulting i said we are open to constructive criticism but that's uncalled for and i thought we left it in a chill place but uh i i guess not apparently not man apparently you know the uh the dignity of stargazer is uh also it should be noted uh all of these removals happened uh, without discussion with us, uh, the black metal guy has been the main point of contact between uh, our show and Grizzly Butts. But uh, yeah, no, just spontaneously, everything was removed, and here we are. And then in it's and you know to be fair, it's he certainly doesn't owe us hosting us on his site, right? He can do whatever he wants, but uh, it, it is uh, and he was doing us a favor by putting us up there in the first place, but. Uh, it is it is a pretty sudden let's say a, a sudden uh and confusing and uh somewhat um uh, well uh somewhat let's say irksome turn of events <laughs> mm. and then in in completely unrelated Com news you know just utterly unrelated no connection whatsoever to uh this previous bit, previous bit of news we had this uh 
scathing comment that was posted uh, regarding our review of Stargazer on uh, our YouTube upload for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, from uh, some gentleman that was apparently intensely upset about it who created a burner account just to describe how incompetent and uninformed we were. Uh, very and interesting possibly material. subscribed in order... Possibly subscribed <laughs> in order to unsubscribe. Yes, um, subscribed in order to unsubscribe. Uh, just a fascinating uh, comment. If you haven't read it, uh, we've pinned it because, you know, it's very illuminating about just how incompetent we are. Um, fascinating sort of thought processes in it. Uh, extremely selective listening uh, <laughs> about our critiques. Yes, let's put it record. charitably. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, certainly, certainly shows us for being unfamiliar with the works of Peter Bratzman. <laughs> I've or certainly not mentioned. Is. Yeah, I've certainly not mentioned Peter Bratzman's machine gun on the show uh, multiple times before this episode, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, so yes. it's uh, it's a uh, it's a lot of fun, but you know, I I'm all about moving forward. You could call me a futurist in a way. So let's. Uh, Let's talk about some things that actually matter. Black metal guy, what's going on in the which will also Terminus? be <laughs> which will also be returning to the glorious past before we were sponsored by Grizzly Butts. <laughs> yes, certainly. You know, we so. we have tossed the yoke of big metal journalism off us, and we are once again independent, <laughs> striking forth into the abyss. So, black metal All guy, right, with that into said, the heart. Yeah. What is going on in the greater terminus co-prosperity sphere? Because you've actually got a, you've got some pretty cool news that I'm excited about. When I saw you write it in our notes. Oh God, yeah, no, I it's um, oh yeah, because I put it on the spreadsheet, and I'm realizing I had to I had to hunt for it on the spreadsheet now. Uh, is this was it was it the uh, the band with the cool the cool album title or the cool band uh, name? Yo, uh, what a uh, layer of the Xeno Lich, yeah. Layer of Xeno Lich, yeah. I was like, this is this is yeah. I was thinking, let's do so. Okay, this is uh, this reminds me. Let's check out two new death metal releases. Um, one is by a band that has the brilliant name Layer of Xeno Lich out on Everlasting Spew, which is a record label you've repped before here, right? It's an Italian yes, label. Very good, uh, brutal death label. I think they've been around for a little while, but they're starting to attain some prominence just over the past year and a half or so. I think that we covered a uh, one record on Everlasting Spew. I'm blanking on which it was last year, but very fun label. Yeah, and so we'll listen to that, and uh, then I got another related one that we by a more established band that we should check out, and I think they'll compare well. But um, okay, cool. Yeah, so. As far as Lair of Xenolich, their best song title is very clearly Railgun Combat. Um, you have no idea. That, you have no idea how turgid I became when I saw that written on the yeah. spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. Um, however, I think that song is like a pretty down-the-line kind of, you know, behemoth Marduk blastathon. Not that I have anything wrong with that. But let's start with the first track, Raised Earth Edict, which I remember having some pretty... Pretty fairly distinctive riffing. Oh, to to clarify, the uh, it appears that the band is actually called Black Hole Deity. 
Oh, sorry. Sorry. I I knew it. I knew I was I knew that was the name. So Black Hole Deity, the record is called Lair of Xenolich, and I just wrote in the notes, Lair of Xenolich. <laughs> you were just so sorry. So is it Necron themed death metal? Or Ooh, well the cover's really beautiful, actually. It's a great kind of abstract, uh kind of medieval or byzantine looking thing of a skull angel i don't think it's i don't think it's necron themed but it's certainly uh necron adjacent <laughs> all right and uh which track are we gonna be listening to no raised earth edict i think we should go with the first track um all right raised earth edict let me pull it up real quick and uh yeah let's just check out a little bit of that That's, uh, apparently it features members of Malignancy, uh, which, of course, I'm very excited about because Malignancy is one of the coolest bands ever. Um, awesome part there where they're doing sort of a, I don't know if it was an overdub or, uh, but there was kind of a, a double snare part where you've got the blast beat and then a second just pounding half note snare over it. Sort of, mm. uh, yeah, sort of a, a weird, like, a, like, almost like a cataclysm technique. Very interesting. I like the idea of death metal guys kind of playing with the form of uh, production. Like, you know, maybe it's not fully live. Maybe you're adding in these overdubs. Make this a little bit broader. Very cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a pretty good... The sound quality in the guitars is also pretty, I think, distinctive. Um, normally, <laughs> normally in something like this, you get a thinner kind of MIDI guitar sound right more like sawing buzz sawing power chord kind of thing here it's yeah. very burly and has a kind of definitely a good example of deliberately inorganic sound right uh and i think nice little there's like been no attempt to reinvent the wheel in terms of the riffing but you hear riff types that are not often pushed away in their little sonic ghettos, like that first kind of a Monomarthy riff, and then we get this more kind of morbid angel riff. These riffs mm -hmm. can go side by side, why not, right? Um, if the common denominator oh, yeah. is just all the blast beats. 
all the black oh, people in them together, right? I definitely hear the uh, I definitely hear the morbid angel, and uh, you described some like kind of behemoth kind of technique in there. That's true, also. And it looks like the uh, the member of malignancy on this is Mike Heller, the drummer, who is basically unquestionably one of the best extreme metal drummers in the world right now. So. Uh, this is actually him playing much more restrained than he usually does, but it still has just the uh, the pure physical force behind it and uh, the sort of elegance and precise timing that we've come to expect from him. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, there's nice timing in the riffs, too. It reminded me of, you know, that one really good single string trem riff on the Altered Dead record? Mm-hmm. The single string trem works kind of similarly here, where it's like there's... You hear what's beginning to be a standard riff, and then there's some interesting surprise timing thing that happens, right? Just a little mm-hmm. slither in a different place. Yeah. So I think it's yeah, quite good, subtle songwriting in a in a standard style, uh, more inventive than it initially appears, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's compare this with a band who I've been wanting to cover for a long time. Hopefully, they do a full out a full length soon. Um, a band called Day Acquisitor, uh, which um. I believe is somehow they're from Denmark, and I believe they're somehow connected to the great old school Danish band, relatively old school band, Bloodfest. Mm-hmm. Is is it? Uh, yes, uh, they are. Just double checking that. Yeah, yeah, they share some members with with the the last Bloodfest lineup. Um, and uh, one thing they have in common is I think it's probably the same guy doing the art. They have this sort of like surreal dark fantasy artwork that is uh very unique to these this band and it sort of creates a self-enclosed sort of symbolic world which is cool uh yeah it's kind of like uh just looking at the newest release it's kind of like uh hr giger meets uh thrash line drawing in your in your math notebook at school which is a cool aesthetic idea yeah this one's a little more mechanoid the last one had just this bizarre sort of like lunar city with just temples like like demon funny looking demons coming out of temples and like vomiting on things or something and just like <laughs> but it seemed like a busy it seemed like a busy place that was a lively kind of a lively kind of lunar demon city you know what i mean it's a it's, it's busy town uh, after dark <laughs> yeah there's there's something weird yes there's something weirdly affirmative and uh Cheery wouldn't be the right word, but there's something weirdly affirmative about this band. Um, and how to describe them? Basically, like, do you like Immolation? Do you like Marduk? Do you like non-stop wall-to-wall uh, skronk blast attack? Well, if you don't, you should turn off the next two minutes. Um, <laughs> so let's start with... Um, let's start with... Uh, let's go for... Well, Below the Frozen Tundra. That's a classic song title, and it usually bodes well. All right, let's check it out.
it's uh listening to Danish death metal is always interesting because there's sort of a weird uh like regional aspects to it. Like Danish death metal bands always have vocals that are kind of like way lower than they should be, like way more extreme than like the style of death metal mm-hmm. that they're playing. Like that was a classic <laughs> thing about Ill Disposed, that uh Melodeth band that I talk about sometimes. They've got this yeah, unbelievably yeah, yeah. ultra low vocal presence that seems at odds at first, mm-hmm. but then works really well with the music. Yeah, I mean, what what do you make of the uh, was was my description on point? I mean, you know, the funny thing is that compared to their earlier stuff, this track "Below the Frozen Tundra" is a uh, rather subtle. Um, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> it it kind of opens out with some of that chug, or like there's like blasting that feels a little bit more mid tempo, uh, and they give a little more room to breathe for the textured scrunk guitar, but um. Mm. But yeah, what did you did you did you enjoy the riffs? Oh, I did. I I mean, I I think that I did enjoy the riffs, but but this is not a band that's about riffs. It's about pure, fucking aggressive death metal energy. Uh, a thing that I would compare it to, um, which is sort of a forgotten band uh, from Denmark, actually, would be uh, Panzer Christ. Have you ever listened to them? Heard of on the many list of bands with Panzer in their names. Uh, well they're very cool just like gnarly aggressive like potently non-atmospheric in a good way death metal like on metal archives they're described Mm -hmm. as you know like black death but no they're just a death metal band to me um but yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's got a similar just like pummeling fucking zero to 60 quality that this does and it's always good to have bands like that where it's like Oh, subtlety, that's lame. Let's just hit the drums and the guitars really <laughs> hard. <laughs> I No, I think that's true. I think it's almost like, I think it's another version of the horror vacuum effect where like some care has gone into the cording and writing on each of these riffs, but they're all supposed, they're definitely all supposed to blend together. Like just this one yeah. sort of continuum of... Yeah, what you pick up is the general harmonic quality of it and the sort of rhythmic punches of the chugs, and that's pretty much what it is. Definitely. And uh, speaking of horror vacui, it's funny because now Ah. uh, we'll do our uh, rundown of records, and finally we found a record with uh, that as the title. Or uh, rather a song on the record as the title. Oh, Um, good point. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting, especially given that band. So uh, we're doing the sandwich today. It's uh, my two records on the outside and yours on the inside. So we're going to be opening up today with uh, Ad Nauseam, uh, with Imperative Imperceptible Impulse, out on avant-garde music. This is an Italian, uh, I would call it abstract tech death, uh, although, you know, when we get into the review, uh, I would say that it's kind of beyond death metal at this point. Uh, this is their second full length, the first that I have heard, however, uh, first one came out in 2016, and, uh, I'll say this one is a fucking doozy, and that is, a, that is, a, that's an academic turn right there. <laughs> yeah, no, this will, it's a pretty cool record. All right, uh, next up, uh, we've got is is this my pick or yours? I guess this one's your pick, technically. Who knows? Uh, today today was messed around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you picked it, but uh, this is coming from the recommendation of one of our patrons. So it's kind of both of ours. 
Yeah, okay, so this is uh, Aphelion, The Chill of Heaven's Abandonment. And uh, this is a band that has made a little bit of waves in the underground, I think. They've uh, put out some, some strong demo material. And it's kind of, it's American black metal, but it's uh, it's got a kind of distinctive low-end murkiness to it that you don't often get from American bands or really any black metal bands right now. So, uh, mm-hmm. interested to check that out. Yep. And what else you got? Oh, uh, yeah. So, my next one is uh, Ulvigar, uh, Isblood. This is out on Ashen Dominion. Uh, I think uh, back in the day, we, as far as Ashen Dominion, I'm pretty sure we reviewed that Coors album. Oh, also, yeah. also on Ashen Dominion. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to say we can give a more positive review to this one. Uh, and <laughs> Ulvigar is sort of... Ulvigar is down-the-line pummeling Slav Black, but, like, uh, with um, much closer to what you'd identify with, like... Uh, really aggressive mid-90s black metal uh so you know they're it's it's pretty cool i like this one a lot yeah and rounding us out it came out we had to cover it technically my pick but yeah i wouldn't know to do it without you we've got pan american native front with the second full-length little turtles war which is out on apparently every fucking label, uh, <laughs> such as uh, Stygian Black Hand <laughs> in the U.S., uh, Le Fleur du Mal in Canada, and Death Cult uh, for the European audience. Um, obviously, we covered the split between Ephronach and Pan American Native Front last year, and uh, well, episode twenty six, episode twenty six, yes, and then uh, well, shit, man. I mean, we're making Outlaw Rock happen. And here's another landmark recording for Outlaw Rock. So we're definitely excited to talk about it. (laughs) All right, so first up on the docket, we have Ad Nauseam with Imperative Imperceptible Impulse. Uh, Like I said, this is the uh, second full length by this group. Uh, First one was back in 2016. Uh, Wasn't really paying attention to Tech Death at the time, so I missed it. But uh, now I want to go back, because listening to this, this is... uh, I I immediately fell in love with this record. uh, Because this is... These are some of the most horrible noises I've ever heard. (laughs) In in a good way. Um, I love the... uh, well, I mean, shit, how do you even describe it? Because I, I know what's going to happen. is A lot of people are going to lump this in with uh, Death Spell Omega, with Ulcerate, uh, all of these sort of like hyper-dissonant tech bands, but I feel like this isn't just worship of that style. I feel like it, it extends further. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think what people are going to be doing is lumping it into this horrible, horrible niche that gets called Dissonant Black Death, which is just as stupid as the label Atmospheric Black Metal because, like, all black, almost all black metal involves dissonance, at least until recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as almost all black metal involves atmosphere, or, like, all of it, right? Um, <laughs> but, um... And sometimes people use dissonant just to mean... People sometimes describe Migla as dissonant because I think what they're talking about is actually the guitar tone. That sort of inorganic, yeah. glistening guitar tone. 
Uh, but um, yeah, no. Here's a great here's a great YouTube comment. Black and slammy death metacore, one of the best genre mixes ever. Comment under it. No slam or deathcore band has come even close to this level of composition. Um, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Somebody says... What, what the fuck is even going on on YouTube? You know? Somebody says, Dis- dissonant death black metal is what I would call it if I attempted to use less words. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, this is another one of those sort of parallel universe metal scenes, right? That yeah. has, you know, year zero is, is when... Paracletus comes out or whichever ulcerate record. But of course, none of this stuff really sounds like the stuff that gets lumped in this dissonant black death thing doesn't sound like, you know, death spell Omega, which is a black metal band or ulcerate, which is a good death metal band. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just this kind of like, uh, you know, autistic in the bad sense, autistically technical, scronk music. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on, on last year's uh, year-end list, I sort of ranted about how bands like Serpent Column get lumped into this genre. Yeah. And that's what's going hap- to happen to this band, too, even though it's kind of... Serpent Column is way closer to black metal than you'd think, and uh, than people think. And this is just, yeah, as you say, kind of beyond death metal for sure. Mm. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, because now this is something we've talked about already in mid-February on a few records this year. Uh, we talked about it with uh, the Mephitis record, which is mm-hmm. sort of like uh, At the Gates, The Red in the Sky is Ours, but so overdriven, it's kind of transcended death metal. And we talked about it, I think it was last episode, with the Astral Tomb EP that I brought on, which is, mm-hmm. in a very opposite way, uh, you know, instead of maximalist, it is minimalist hyper-technical in a very abstract way and not really like death metal anymore. And I would say that this falls in too. I love this record, but I I wouldn't call it really a death metal record anymore. I think this is... uh, This is really, like the Mephitis record, closer to classical music than it is heavy metal. It's closer to abstract early 20th century classical music like sort of a Penderecki style which I believe is an actual influence on these guys didn't did, doesn't this album or the one before open with a Penderecki sample uh oh does it I mean it's, it, it's um, entirely possible I might have acci- I, I might have accidentally clicked on the record I did accidentally click on the record before this first so it could have been that one let, let me see real quick I'm gonna check whether th- it's this one no, it's the other one. Their last record opens with a Penderecki sample, and if it's not a Penderecki sample, then it's a remarkable attempt to imitate that on keyboards, you know? So, uh, this is... I guess to describe it, um, I mean, it's clearly... I would say that all this uh, kind of, like, modern diso-death stuff is descended fundamentally from uh, Gorgut's Obscura, and I would say this is a very close attempt to replicate their methodology on that record. Uh, I've read interviews with Luke LeMay about how that they came up with that, and it seems like the defining element for them was to stop thinking of music in terms of notes, but purely as sound objects, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. something very similar is going on in this record, because I, I've read some stuff about this band. Apparently, they basically uh, created all their own gear, 
for this band. Uh, I think one of the guys is an electrical engineer, and there's a couple other kind of technically-minded people in the band, so they basically built their own amps and their own custom guitars and instruments, uh, like like sort of a, a weird handmade snare drum, just to... But you see, what that means, I mean, that couldn't just be, like, autistic prog shit, but what you see is really a, an emphasis on sound, of pure sound divorced from melody from harmony things like that pure sound objects and i think that's what makes this music so exciting for me it's it's really beyond the the structure of music as we understand it yeah in that sense it's kind of like the highbrow answer to the astral tomb right where they were also using pure sound object right just bending bending one shrieking note or using feedback or uh just relentlessly chugging in these strange time signatures right uh yeah yeah this is uh yeah so this is this is kind of similar idea on the opposite end of the spectrum there's a, you know honestly i would recommend people i rarely say this i would recommend people read the description on their band camp because there's a lot of kind of cool info about this band it seems like they they think they were very invested in melody and harmony but they were trying to put it into, uh, they want harmony obtained by means of disharmony and melody by dissonance. To push this method even further, a unique tuning system has been conceived. So that's what, that, there's, that's what you said. To, uh, to allow a new harmonic vocabulary and eradicate the players from the comfort zone of the usual patterns every guitar and bass player is used to. Yeah, mm. no, there's, there's definitely so clearly some influence of like, uh, like Schoenberg, like uh, 12-tone serialism on this i i have no doubt there's probably riffs if you can call them riffs that are full like 12 tone serialist things on this uh and that's, except they don't sound bad um well they sound bad in the right way you know mm -hmm. it's uh it's because i yeah, i want to i want to uh, stress just how I thought I was inoculated to hyper-abrasive music, but this stuff makes your brain scream. This is just, like, horribly unnatural shit. <laughs> it's uh, it's outstanding, think, <laughs> but, yeah. I think I would describe this as it sort of sounds like knocking a clock off the mantle, and it will make you want to knock a clock off the mantle. <laughs> That's um, fair. Well, let's, uh, let's do so a Why sample. don't we give them a sample, then? Yeah, yeah. so uh, here's something off the first track. Uh, Subspecie Eternitatis. Um, and, yeah, let's just, let's just check this section out and then talk about it, you know? <laughs>
Oh, holy fuck, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was fun. Say uh It's 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 something. I don't I don't know if I'd describe it as fun, but I mean, definitely a, a, a sort of sadistic grin came across my face listening to this because I was like it just felt like a I described it in the notes as this record feels like it's melting while it's being played. Like it, it's just there's a there's a sense of like physical contortion to this music that I don't know if I've fully it's heard kind before. Well, the place where we have heard it is Portal, right? That was the remarkable yeah. thing. Portal sounded like it was played being played backwards and melting. However, this is getting to a very similar effect. Portal got there by blurring everything. This is getting to a similar effect with all these kinds of crystalline sounds. Yeah. Like, uh, just every, like, if you listen closely to the, it, it, if you listen to just the weave of it, it sounds like horrible skronk. But if you listen closely to it, you will hear different melodies and harmonies kind of weaving around each other. Um, the other thing I was struck by was like, you know, like, although this is certainly outside the metal riff, there are riffs here. Like there was like that sort of like four, like four time repeated descending pattern just before it sort of broke down at the end. Mm -hmm. um, you could hear that that was like a theme. And then you could hear those. That was like maybe where the voices came together a little bit, the sort of bending, cascading downward effect. And then they sort of broke up into this weird counterpoint or set of harmonies. Uh, yeah. I think uh, no. I think that's one of the things that makes this so interesting is like, and I'll I'll describe this more on a later sample, but it feels like this is a band who are etching melodic ideas out of negative space. It's like they've they're writing around a melody and just hinting at its existence through the shapes around it. Uh, it's extremely hard to describe. But uh, there's so many times where it's like you hear almost this, this ghost melody constructed out of these dissonant notes periodically intersecting and coming apart from one another uh, that gestures to something that's actually like a, a, a normal melody as we would understand it. Um, and I think this has to do with kind of the thematics of the record. Uh, because I don't know, have you checked out any of the lyrics to this? No. Uh, the lyrics are fucking awesome. They belong to a specific strain of bizarre abstract tech death lyrics. But I feel like they're kind of a key to the whole record to understanding what it's about. Like, for instance, uh, off this uh, off this song, just the, the first few passages go like this. I am looking for the face I had before the world was made. I am looking for the flawed plot of an immortal intelligence. Acts are my symbols. Symbols are my maze. I feel I woke up in another dream. If I could hear all the sounds of the world, I would recognize my own steps walking in a single instant all of my lives. A god shall say only one word. In that word, fullness shines. No voice articulated by him can be inferior to the universe. Can a god make sure it is no more what it was? So there's this 
and this is something that kind of echoes to the record, this, this idea of void, this idea of like space beyond time, you know, because like ulcerate lyrics are kind of apocalyptic and Despel Omega lyrics are kind of like pseudo religious and abstract, but then these guys are like, we're totally beyond oh, they, they are material reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Deathspell Omega lyrics are religious. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, that's a very serious part of it. Uh, but, but in this these, case, yeah, I take your yeah. point. Yeah. Well, no, it's just like the, the sheer abstraction is like, we're, we're truly trying to go to a place beyond, uh, I don't, I don't want to say material reality, I, although I guess I just said that, because it is still very material in a way, but it's totally... Um, it has none of the reference points that we understand. It's trying to get at fundamental structures of, you know, like, yeah, like, I mean, structures that are trying to figure out what gods are, mm-hmm. right? Which requires sort of going, it's it's sort, of, it's sort of beyond, it's beyond just the gods, right? It's dealing with, I, I love this moment. And, you know, uh, great lyric. Fate consists of a single instant. The moment when a man knows forever that he is and who he is. Uh, I am confusing myself with the shape of my destiny. Now I see only one sun exists once. Um. That's so fucking good. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, there's... You know what I like about this? There's a similar kind of... Um, a band like Ulcerate, or like... I'm thinking like the first... Um, the first Mephitis record. They can have mm-hmm. these sort of um, intensely apocalyptic lyrics about decline and collapse, right? And Mephitis say in an interview, specifically, it's not coming from a nihilistic perspective, but they're interested in, you know, the collapse of the collapse of the world we've inherited, right? They're, they're not, they're, they're not saying that, Oh, everything's meaningless. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Right. However, mm-hmm. the lyrics are extremely negative, um, which is the point again, but I like that this band, which makes horrifying noise, um, has kind of moments in the lyrics that are affirmative in that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know it... what the plot, I don't, I don't know what the plot arc of this record is, but even if I look at the last track, like human interface to no God, well, that certainly sounds bleaker, but even then, it's not. Uh, even then, it, it's not this sort of conclusively nihilistic standpoint. It seems to be about disorientation, in, in disorientation to, in the world. That seems to be the the main theme of this record is the the loss of orientation, the the destruction of notions of reality. And like the recreation of the self, like some of the, it, it reminds me of a, like some of the most profound moments of like deeply like hard edged atheist writing, you know, um, like viciously like self resolute, you know, it, 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 you know, where it's a, you know, and the hardest edged atheist writing is accidentally kind of religious because it's about, you know, in a world where there are no gods, but the subtext is kind of rather that the gods have abandoned us. How do we define ourselves as people? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's kind of the dimension I think this is coming from, you know, how, how do we tear the veil away from reality 
or what we perceive as reality to access its core fundamental structure and what do we do with it when we get there all right so yeah i mean uh <laughs> yeah I, I i'm with that i don't know if i get an atheistic sense from this but i guess you've read more of the lyrics than i have right would this be oh, the yeah, appropriate time to talk about the would this be the appropriate time to talk about the cover or should we save that for the end uh i can talk about it at the end let's uh let's do one of your samples all right let's keep moving okay um so yeah, I find this album, I mean, obviously it's extremely sadistic, uh, but remarkably listenable for all that. Um, I did not, normally you might find it a pain to listen to 54 minutes of extremely abrasive and demanding kind of stuff like this. Um, not so, I enjoyed it. Uh, it has a, um, and I, I think moments on this record are sort of exuberant. So I'll just play the beginning of inexorably ousted Senta, uh, and, and uh, I'll just say I found this surprisingly moshable. <laughs> All right, let's do it. seeing this live i wonder if they play live yeah I'm, I'm curious because i feel like as cool as it is to listen to on record i think that maybe the real environment for this is live like well on their Bandcamp page it does show them playing live on the band's own band camp okay cool i i gotta i gotta fucking see this shit happen in real time because like oh man just the 
it's like you almost don't know how to react to it. It's like, do you just stand there with your with your mouth open, watching uh, what's happening, or I just, do you? I, I, I just windmilled yeah. all over my room in double time. <laughs> I, I did a it's spin true. kick, it's, bro. It's weirdly. No, you're right. I, I think that denying the physical aspect of this music is missing a big part of it. Also, uh, outstanding. Yeah, the, the uh, best. The best. I think the best avant-garde metal is made by people who understand, who like actually like metal, and who understand yeah, yeah. what makes it exciting. And so that that's that kind of idea of music adjacency that I think mm-hmm. I think this band has that for sure. Where it's like, like it's going to give you a lot of effects that you get on a metal record, just not in any way you've heard before. Um, seeing it live, yeah, also fair. like this struck me. I mean. Yeah, seeing it live also is like this struck me as closely related to jazz too, uh, or as having the same kind of which I know we we often say jazz and classical in the same when we're talking about any kind of avant-garde stuff, but uh, there's um, certainly an embrace of the musicians playing with each other, um, and it's uh, the sh- the sort of the sharp discontinuities I know you get that in a lot of modern classical stuff too but there's there, the sense of I guess what I mean is there's a sense of openness to the music which you identify with negative space yeah um, well I I think that's the, an interesting idea is like it you know it, it's it's always kind of a Rorschach test when you listen to something like this is you know what do you identify these kind of ineffable characteristics as you know what I mean yeah and so one thing that's cool about this I mean in a lot of ways, you know, uh, given that we uh, got in trouble for, I guess, being a little too harsh on Stargazer, uh, <laughs> you can take a record like this as a, you know, and granted, I, I like Stargazer's older stuff, right? And I was kind of, I was kind of trying to, you know, push back on the critique and sort of point out what I thought were some strengths about that record. But you can definitely see that this is some similar ideas in basic the the idea of making sort of anti heavy death metal, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the guitars are the tones are extremely clean, um, extremely clean and organic sound, uh, relatively quiet production. Uh, moments when where the drummer is blasting, it doesn't even necessarily feel fast, which is very mm-hmm. much a jazz thing. Um, and yet. Yeah, so it, has, it it definitely attains some of the things that that Stargazer was working for, but like it it also brings all of the physicality of metal, and it's also whereas the Stargazer I think like hewed too close to pop melody and to sort of like seventies prog, this is uh, I mean, well, just it, they they took the trouble to make their own harmonic universe, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was gonna say, like even on uh, e- even on this song, the uh, the the closing couplet of lyrics is, uh, "Intellect lost the ultimate evolutionist race between species," which is uh, kind of fascinating. <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. the idea, like even in music as like kind of insane and technical and accomplished as this, you know, the the argument is that those ideas are sort of petty human concerns. I just, I, I think that what I love so much about this is just yes, how this intensely is... alien it is. 
You know? This this band, yeah, they don't have their heads up their asses. They're not they're not conceited and trying to make intelligent music. Yeah, I like I like what you're saying. Yeah, it's it definitely is the whole point of this record is you yourself and certainly humanity are not the center of the universe. <laughs> and oh, your yeah, mind it's... your mind is a uh, your your mind is an effect, not a cause. Oh, it's it's deeply it's some of the most deeply inhuman music I think we've ever covered on the show. It's like, this has nothing to do with the likes of man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so, uh, let's go to um, next sample. Related to like building their own harmonic language, this band does something that I'm sure there are a few bands, especially in this wing of, in this wing, in like, in the disso black niche or disso death niche, I'm sure some bands have done this already, but like uh, this band uses alternate tunings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a thing that a possibility that was really implied by black metal guitar years and years ago, but almost nobody actually did, right? I mean, obviously you'd mm-hmm. move around, you'd tune your guitar up or down or change a few things about it, right? But like... You know, there was there was an urban legend that Transylvanian Hunger was recorded in an open tune-in. Uh, but, like, hmm. basically that kind of thing was more remained the province of kind of art rock. But here, I think this record is a really good example of the 10-year rule, where, like, okay, finally, people who actually like black and death metal and actually like stuff from the post-punk experimental art rock scenes or whatever are using those techniques in an, in an extreme metal context or just extreme music context. So this is it's also a good example of the negative space you've talked about. So let's go to here in the middle of Coincidentia Oppositorum.
it's like uh, one thing that I uh, didn't mention before is like you know there's huge stretches on this album, minutes at a time of just accumulating tension, and it doesn't ever really get released. It's just these these horrible like anxious kind of clean passages. And it's like, even there, it like goes back into a more metallic kind of... Uh, that's a very Death Spell Omega sort of riff at the very end of that sample. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But it's not really releasing the tension of the previous part. It just keeps building it up. And usually, it never gets released. It's just this this horrible like void of anxiety and fear. And at no point on the record does it ever discharge it in a cathartic moment. It just I, feels bad psychologically all the time. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I, I felt that as a big release moment. Like, to me, you can really headbang to that. Uh, and that's one thing that's satisfying about it is that there's all of this building. And then there's something that sort of approximates a big mosh part. Um, I, I get what you mean in the sense that they, they never shift out of, they're never going to give you a consonant melody or something, right? they always remain in this dissonant framework, but like, uh, I, I get that, you know, it's definitely just, it just is really tense music for sure, mm -hmm. you know, but like, I, so, so I, I, I get what you mean, but I think, I think like, I also hear that as like a big heavy headbanging part, but like, let's talk about the, the middle of that, which is, or, you know, I, I think you could hear some of the jazzy stuff as it kind of um, escalated towards the big break in the middle. Uh, you could hear one of the guitars kind of straining against another. And yeah. related to what you were saying about tension, a thing that the Stargazer had at its best that was jazzy and that something like um, Defeated Sanity always has is this sense of energies or tensions being sort of delicately counterposed distributed through the whole system in a way that's way more like jazz heaviness than metal heaviness yeah um and so this definitely has that where you get the sense that these instruments are sort of like playing against each other playing off each other very difficult to center the one most important part um but yeah that middle part with the big sort of chiming guitars uh you know, who knows what the actual reference point for that is. Um, and I suppose this is on the rather poppy side for noise guitar. But um, I thought we would just listen to uh, this part from Sonic Youth's Bad Moon Rising. This track is called I'm Insane. <laughs>
that's that's really interesting to listen to, you know, uh, just because I've I've never really delved into Sonic Youth. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like the kind of thing that probably would appeal to me, but it's just like, oh man, that's that's just a little bit too arty punk for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is unfair, you like but, you know you I mean. like you like plenty of stuff that I think you like more classically square glasses stuff than I do. You know you like like I'm trying to think of a good example, but there's like certain like full blown kind of indie things that you like. That's that's fair. Yeah, yeah. it's. I think that I. I, I don't know. I I just come at it from this outside perspective, which psychologically protects me from acknowledging I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Sonic Youth. I mean, I don't. It doesn't really emotionally resonate with me the way it did when I was a kid. Although going back to this record makes me want to start listening to this. Maybe some of their more out there stuff again. I very specifically connect it with living in a city, uh, mm. and it's very hard to appreciate it. City, New York sublimity that you only really get there. And it only like, you know, you listen to Sonic Youth in some place like that and you feel, you feel like you get something about the place and you feel cool and you feel connected to this long sort of tradition of this sort of punk art rock or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's almost, if you're not living someplace like that, then it's almost like younger man's music, I think. Um, but I the yeah. but this but this part is sick. Um, and you know the thing is, a lot of their later stuff, you know, Daydream Nation or whatever, is fairly poppy. Their early stuff has a lot of moments like this where it's just super abrasive and weird. Oh yeah, I was um, about to say I didn't I didn't it, expect it to sound as much like Godflesh as it does. <laughs> Yeah, and this is in 85, too. So the Godflesh would have been listening to this. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, th- this, is, uh, this is all in that school of New York bands that were influenced by British post-punk bands. Uh, and this is... The interesting thing also is that the whole record, Bad Moon Rising, it all pretty much sounds like that. Like, there are moments with vocals and moments... Like, you could hear that groove kind of picking up right there. Yeah. But, like... The whole thing is pretty damn uncompromising. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can hear how it connects to Killing Joke. I can hear yes. how it connects to, like, no-wave stuff in general. There's, like, swans in there. Um, so that might be something I've actually got to check out. i got to finally take the plunge and listen to Sonic Youth seriously. Yeah, Sonic Youth would basically be considered, like, the most popular wing of the no-wave thing. Like, they yeah, were sort yeah, of associated yeah. with that movement when they started. Uh, I, yeah, certainly both them and Swans were interested in translating ideas from Killing Joke into a U.S. context. Um, uh, yeah, I can dig that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there, there's there's that just for you fans. If you haven't listened to Sonic Youth, uh, definitely worth listening to Bad Moon Rising and, and some of their other stuff. I mean, Sister's a great record, too, if you want it a little more sort of with some more kind of power chord ish stuff however that's the thing is that sonic youth were one of the first bands that was really known for doing alternate alternate tunings which is a technique they imported from sort of academic classical music Mm -hmm. uh they made you know prepared guitars they'd have in live sets they'd have different guitars for different songs and so like 
they're just a classic example of doing that. And this ad nauseum is using prepared guitars and they are, uh, and you can hear these just massive clanging sonic youth voids in the middle of the songs. Yeah, I dig that. So, uh, last sample. Here's one that's almost like music. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, let's listen to a little bit of the title track, uh, uh, imperative imperceptible impulse and this really gets into the negative space thing i've been talking about you will hear a melody but it's etched out of absence of melody there is a a negative space that points to something very distinct here and so uh as abstract as that is i think everyone will pick up on it so Let's give it a shot. This part's this part's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Let's do it. of like there's there's something there there's a big like black metal melody actually almost like a, a, mm-hmm. a sort of like gothic style uh like french black metal melody like almost depressive style but it, you only get it through its absence they're they're writing around that melody but what but what you're supposed to hear as a listener is that melody, the outline of it, this absence that you're psychologically reinserting into the music, if that makes any sense at all, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. They've they've got the, they're paying a lot of attention to the, the guitar interplay, and they've got the left and right, they've got guitar different guitars mixed in different channels, right? Mm-hmm. And so they can be playing... That's a big part of this whole Yeah, they're thing. like literally... 
I get more what you mean now because like it, one can hear the melody, but they are literally there's a consonant version of the melody that they're not playing because they're playing in tandem on either side of it. And somehow mm -hmm. it emerges from all of that, which is pretty, that's, I get, that's pretty cool. Um, as, as far as the melodic sensibility, you actually also will get stuff like that on the more recent ulcerate. Mm -hmm. um, with that specific kind of weird sliding shape, but also very sort of crystalline and beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I hear what you mean. It being a, like a French melody, it could also be a DSO thing. But that's like the one... And it's like, there it is. That's your big climax on the record. There's the big riff. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's they, they won't play it. I mean, they're not going to just play it. Mm -hmm. These guys are, even beyond DSO or Ulcerate, they are so resolute in their refusal to play that big riff that fits there. Which is something I respect a lot about this record. And one of the reasons that... I think I can say this might end up on my year-end list because this is just so fucking out there. This It just has such a deep commitment and respect for its own conceit, you know? It's like we're, we've, we've set up these parameters for how we're going to write this music and nothing is going to change that. We will not allow ourselves to deviate from that no matter how good the idea might be or how they are they're like sacrificing the ultimate pleasure of the song for how fixated they are on this idea and i mean fuck if that's not art what is <laughs> hey it's kari from sepulchre curse and i'm Yaku. you're listening to terminus All right, and we are back uh, with Ophelion, uh, with the Chill of Heaven's Abandonment. Um, so, like you were saying, uh, this appears to be a band that's gotten some attention kind of in like in the, uh, you know, I don't know, is Instagram black metal scene a derisive term? I don't think it is. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but... I feel like Ophelion is, I, I feel like Ophelion has done better on YouTube. I feel yeah, like I've fair. seen I've been recommended their I've been recommended their stuff a lot on YouTube is where I've seen it. Um yeah. I would actually say it's kind of outside the orbit of bands that I'm in immediate the bands and labels that I'm in immediate contact with. On yeah, so um, Ophelion, they they've done a, a couple tapes, kinda like demo EP tapes. They did a comp of both of them, and then now this is their first full length. Um and uh, like we were saying up top, this is uh, off the recommendation of one of our patrons, uh, who is actually a... Uh, uh, Jesus Christ, I totally forgot to do the social media and patron thing at the top of the hour. God damn. I'm Shit. failing miserably in my job. But yeah, if you want to be able to recommend your buddy's bands, you can subscribe to us on Patreon, etc., etc. You already know the fucking shtick. Anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah. Also, if you're listening, if you're a relatively new listener and you have not yet subscribed to us on YouTube, uh, you might consider throwing us a like and or subscribe. Uh, even if you listen on another another medium primarily, uh, like, you know, podcast proper or whatever, uh, 
you've got some random old disused YouTube account from college, uh, we would always appreciate your help in boost our signal. Absolutely. You know, whatever we can do to overcome the algorithm that oppresses, <laughs> that oppresses extreme metal fans so much. For, for real, for real. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, uh, so this is a band from Missouri, and uh, the Midwestern... <laughs> sorry, sorry, I've just got to like, do your part to get Terminus on trending. Oh God, <laughs> I can't imagine a more ignominious end to the podcast, but... Uh, Terminus um, reviews 10 new kinds of makeup. Oof. That's what we need to get into, man. We need to get into, true. Uh, like... True. True. We'll just start doing reaction videos, makeup tutorials, that kind of Cor- shit. Just, corpse just go paint, all in. Corpse paint makeup tutorial and like prank videos. <laughs> yeah, we we tell a guy, you know, we tell a guy in an explosions in the sky show that the uh, new Jesu record is actually a black metal band or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so uh, the Midwestern black metal scene is kind of curious just because, like, uh, you know, kind of like greater Chicago area produced stuff like Judas Iscariot. Um, but in terms of like a, a conscious metal scene, stuff always kind of pops up in like uh, fits and starts in the like lower midwest obviously you get up to uh illinois michigan stuff like that it's a little bit different but missouri kansas arkansas stuff like that is always uh it's always kind of a mixed bag you know it's guys come kind of like emerging from a scene that doesn't exist and kind of reaching out so i think it's always interesting to check out some of these guys yeah i mean so yeah so i guess the the first thing I would identify this band with is like this reminds me of the first Behexen record, which used to be mentioned in the same breath as Sargeist or Horna or Satanic Warmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, Behexen has kind of tacked into Orthodox black metal, and though although I think they eventually made a pretty good record in that vein. It's definitely not nothing like uh, Celebration of Christ's Fall uh, or Fist of the Satanist. Um, and, <laughs> what a cool record title, Fist of the Satanist. Oh, it's no, it's just one of the first songs. But yeah, no, it fucking rules. Oh, okay. uh, I know, it's one of those bulldozer mid-tempo songs. Um, but uh, Behexen was a great band, um, and what was distinctive about them was that they had a lot of the classic Finnish melody, but everything was way tuned down. They put a more serious effort into the sort of power chord, sort of brutal riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a, uh, a murk and a, uh, yeah, it, it was grim, but not really even in the way the classic second wave bands was. It was all a little more chthonic, you know? You could maybe hear, oh, this is the same country that produced Barrett, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, or produced Archgoat. Um, and so that that this band doesn't sound like that record exactly at all, but the general idea of ideas coming in from Finnish black metal, an idea that black metal should have something melodic or epic about it, while also being sort of having this powerful low end, this sense of fuzz in the production, uh, 
that that seems to be the distinguishing feature of this band. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think that I think that overall, um, to get it out front, I like this record. I think that this is a band in search of a center. Because I think we've talked about this a little bit before, especially with like kind of younger bands, because uh, Aphelion has only been around, as far as I can tell, for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. I feel like this is a band still trying to figure out exactly what it's about. Like, what, what style of black metal wants to play. Um, I think these are guys with passions for a lot of different kinds of black metal, but I think they're much stronger in certain veins than others. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would say that um, <clears throat> I think this is a band that has the whole before the parts. So as far as that overall kind of Behexony concept or whatever, this idea of doing a kind of American murky low-end black metal, that is an interesting idea, and they do kind of execute that throughout the record. Um, they all have another admirable ambition, which we both, I think, picked up on, but we're talking about before the show, which is like, it's got this ambition. One way of interpreting the, the sort of ton of influences in this record, right, is an attempt to achieve the scope of the early Norwegian bands, right? That full spectrum mm -hmm. black metal sound. Um, and the idea that you could do that while mostly drawing riffing strategies from these simpler riffing strategies from these later scenes of underground stuff, right? Like the French or the Slavs or whoever, right? The Finns. That is an idea we saw with Oppressive Descent, who did a mm -hmm. really good job, very focused job of blending those elements while still keeping it kind of lo-fi one man, right? So this band has this band has full band playing, which is, is a plus for being able to achieve that. But right now the elements are, I think, not blended. Yeah, I think there's there's a disparate quality to this record. There is a kind of uh, use you use the term uh, like song dump related to that uh, anal stab wound record we covered yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other day. It feels like okay, so they've got a bunch of ideas. These are all kind of like basically good songs individually, but they don't gel together very well as a, like a full length album. That being said. I do think there's a, a ton of potential here. I think they're basically good at all these styles, but I think that there's, you know, it's almost like every song is a different avenue of black metal. Every song is like a different exploration. And they've got these moments of just like explosive brilliance. I just think they need to kind of knuckle down, decide exactly what they want to do, and then really kind of deeply investigate how they're going to put that out. Um, Maybe so, this is a band that started for fun before they realized they had something more serious to say. Yeah, I could see that. Because it, yeah. it seems like just looking at the information of the members that are coming from like the death metal scene, mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like all the guys are... Uh, coming from death metal bands or are still in death metal bands. So maybe this started as like, well, let's do a black metal band as like a fun thing to do together. You know, you got mm -hmm. some bros, you know, you're in these different bands in the scene. Let's do our like local super group and just make some fucking black metal, which is cool. But 
I think that there's something here and then consciously tapping into it is the way forward because there's there's moments on this record that are I think extremely powerful and they just need to access it a little more consciously for it to really come to fruition. Okay, so for like um since we're starting with the kind of constructive criticism bit, maybe we should just lead with my sample, which is also the first 2 minutes of the record. Uh, sure. <laughs> so um and you will hear some good riffs here. Some of them you'll like better than others. Those might be different from the riffs I like, right? You know, who knows? But here come some here come some solid black metal riffs. The beginning of a severed tongue dialect. talking a little bit while that was playing and for me the the centerpiece there is that that big kind of emo riff that dun 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 fuck yeah dude immediate yeah that's that's a very it's a very unique riff um it i mean you can trace it just back to like burzum too right it's a pretty it's it's a kind of riff i think we've heard riffs like that in various kinds of styles over the years, maybe in DSBM with that more emo flavor, maybe. Yeah. But like, it's not a riff that there was, this was never the central riff of any kind of style. And like, it strikes me as pretty unique, right? Yeah. So, because, it, because it's mm-hmm. like, it's emotive, but it's also got a huge groove to it. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call this like an outlaw rock band. 
but no. that's an outlaw rock riff right there. I, I think at its best, the band might be tending there. Um, so we'll try to talk about that later. But um, yeah, so for me, like most of those riffs I like um, separately. Like the first initial blasting riff was a great example of the sort of uh, gloomy low end blasting that I kind of identified with the Hexen. Nice sort of weird, weirdly timed wiggles in those chords, strange dissonance. You can hear it sounding a little like war metal too. But um, but like, so that's cool. Um, and then it immediately breaks into this kind of Santana riff, which I'm not crazy about. Da, 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 da. A little bit of samba or whatever, but um, that I get it's a unique riff. But uh, then you get like this sort of French style trem thing. And between those two parts, there's a genuine moment of development. The samba thing pays off in the French thing. Uh, yeah. But, like, that's the only, in a sequence with, like, four or five different riffs, that's the only moment of development. Um, and you have to have a sense of development if you want to stitch together that many riffs. Uh, and then, when the irony is when they introduce the biggest riff there, it totally breaks the momentum. And I, thought, I, yeah. I think, like, that is, it's an awkward way to start a record. Uh, I think well, the intent I, was, pro I think the intent was probably something like an overture. You know what I mean? Mm. Like sort of forecasting a bunch of different stuff to come. But like, that's tricky. Well, I think that something that occurred to me just now listening mm -hmm. to this is uh, I I get the impression. I, I think these were songs developed from jam sessions, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, that can be very good as a starting point, but I think for this band, they jammed out these songs and they kind of left them untouched. They didn't do the sort of post-production work on them. You know what I mean? And every, every musician is different. Like for me, I'm a guy where jamming just does not work for me. That is absolutely alien to the way that I write on guitar or play with people. Um, but I think the jam energy can be a real strength if harnessed yeah. correctly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There was there was just like a second phase of editing that I think. Uh, well, you know, I mean this this release is what it is, right? They released a bunch of high energy sort of high energy songs with a bunch of cool riffs in them, and now on the next one they'll start sort of uh, sorting out the parts that are most important to them. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I find that there that first moment is pretty typical of many passages on the record. It is uh, sometimes when they hit a really good idea, they don't even, they don't give it enough space to breathe. Um, oh, yeah, they, they could have, no. like that emo riff, they could have played twice as long, no question, and it would have been perfect. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so it's, Maybe a little too frenetic for its own good. Uh, however, I do think there are strong, uh, strong and promising areas of this, uh, and we should go to your sample. Well, speaking of fucking emo, do, yeah, do yeah, you yeah. like a do you like a giant emo black riff? Because I like a giant emo black riff. <laughs> yeah. So here's this is one of the moments on this record. It's like. This is a record that I would be like, okay, 
it feels like these guys are getting started. They're figuring themselves out. And, you know, ordinarily, I'm jaded enough at this point that I know when to discount something. And uh, so that, that part of the first track, uh, fucking uh, Severed Tongue Dialect, that big emo riff got me. And then I heard Victorious Anguish. And then after kind of a protracted intro, they open up the full song with this riff. And this is when I decided that this band moved from cool guys playing around to, oh, there's really something here. So let's check out this shit. You know how I feel about emo and black metal, but that was a very good riff. <laughs> well, well, what do you mean? I I know what you feel about emo and black metal. Fucking, you like emo, you like black metal, you like when they're combined correctly. You know? I, yeah, I mean, I like some emo, um, but um, yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> that was a uh, that was a good version of that kind of riff for sure, and it was it was way on the emo side for me, but like it was unquestionably well executed, uh, and it it's compelling, and the timing of it is pretty cool, the way they stretch it out. Oh yeah, no, I I said in the notes because the way it ends with that kind of that rickety kind of drum fill ending on it, where it kind of stretches out the time signature another half note is like uh mm-hmm. that's a very like old school like DC emo thing to do. You know, it's not uh it, it still has that emotional hardcore essence to it. 
which I think it makes it very distinct amongst a lot of the kind of like emo influenced black metal bands today. Yeah, I mean, we were talking during the segment about how that sounds kind of like it could be, um, you know, a thing in that territory I do like, right? It's Japanese screamo, right? And that reminds me of like Swarm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Swarm is just fucking great. They're undeniable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swarm yeah, we'll have to play Envy. that on the show sometime. Yeah, yeah Swarm, Envy, Heaven in Her Arms, uh, you know, any of those guys. But uh, it's also, what I think is interesting is, I like it more listening to it again now. The way it slips into that kind of like mutilation style, like sour French tremolo riff. Um I feel personally like the the heart of this band, whether they know it or not, is in the French style. Uh, I I think that's the strongest material. I think is when they're blurring the lines of like major and minor key, like that. Like that emo riff is basically like a major key riff, like the saddest kind of major key. And uh, yeah, no, there's just like it. As soon as I heard the song, I seized on this one. It's like, this is... Well, I've got another sample layer of another path for this band, but this is a path for them, I would say. Yeah, definitely some of the core elements. I mean, th that riff is a standout riff on the record. It is, uh, it, you know, that that grabs you. Um, I think the transition to that next one is, a, you know... I. Like, I like that idea of immediately shifting to a different register. It's maybe if I heard it a few times, I'd start to like be like, okay, this is going to be an abrupt transition here, and that's part of the effect. You've mm -hmm. probably, you might have listened to this more times in a row than me. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, why don't we go to your next sample? Yeah. So, uh, so here's my idea is like, there's paths forward for this band, they just have to decide on what kind of band they are. And here's another version. Uh, this is off the track Spires of Fire and Iron, uh, which apparently features an individual named Lord Orots on synths. And as soon as I heard this, I was like, why is this merely featuring him? You should make him a main part of your band because the synth work adds a whole new dimension and I've always loved when these kind of garagey black metal bands incorporate synths. There's something about the disparate idea of, you know, keep it garagey, but then add these elements of what we call symphonic black metal and shit. Um, and I think it works out great on this track. So let's just listen to the opening of this song. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yo, bro, here's the thing. I love Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm deeply mentally retarded and I cannot read the Dungeon Master's playbook. Like, I... <laughs> I fucking... I, I, I don't know... I don't actually know what this game is about, but I like to drink a lot and I lean back in my chair and I just describe what my, like, powerful barbarian is doing. Has nothing to do with the actual game that we're playing. I'm upsetting everyone at the table, but I just talk about how my, my barbarian, he has sex and he fights goblins. For hours. <laughs> for hours, I will just sit in a reverie. Uh, a drunken reverie with my eyes closed, leaning back. And people will try to interrupt me. Like, um, we're trying to play a game here, and I'll just be like, shh. And then, Orgar <laughs> the Mighty lifts up another tavern wench with one powerful arm and starts eating her pussy. <laughs> like, I don't fucking... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Terminus is a PG-13 show. Uh, I'll keep that in mind uh, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but no it's like i i love oh, i love when shit is like it's got that garage punk energy and then you throw in the synths and it seems incorrect at first and then it's like it makes perfect sense it is like being a teenager in high school and playing fucking D D again which is an idea that like dungeon synth guys are trying to approach right now but having black metal guys do it, that's definitely a path forward to me. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, definitely a little on the bright side for me there. But it's um, but the the fundamental idea I think is a good one. I think you're right. They should have keyboards in this band. Uh, and it's uh, it it definitely like, you know, I would describe that part as strangely compelling. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it the the original idea with having the keys in black metal was that, right? I mean, before before Emperor accidentally took a trip to the Wank Bank, right? They were making extremely garagey music with keyboards. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was the whole sort of idea that black metal was working on both of these levels, that it had this sort of raw go for the throat aggression while also doing the preposterous and quote-unquote tasteless thing of using ornate key neoclassical keys um just sort of completely rejecting punk and rocker ideas of what's tasteful uh mm. and that you know that's cool i always liked that i always wished more bands used keyboards and not necessarily in like a this is a symphonic black metal tribute kind of way right yeah no mm -hmm. it's um yeah, so, uh, and that relates back to the idea that this band is, is, in some really, I think, commendable way, trying to grasp everything about black metal at once. Which is, uh, you know, trying to incorporate the fullness of feeling you get uh, on some of that original stuff. Um, yeah, they're, so, just, they're uh, having me, fun, they, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tell me what you think of this. Like, here, I think... think Towards the end of the record, I start to hear something more like a consistent sound in I Dwell in Torture and then Before the Heretic's Fork. Um, I, I think you've got like, uh, there's parts that you like, like that kind of emo DSBM riffing stuff, but like mm -hmm. in a very solemn way. 
And there are also parts I like that have this kind of American war metal sound where you're not sure, like, is this Axis of Advance? Is this Amana Marth? Is this Pan American Native Front? Like, I don't care. I love those drums. It's, uh, <laughs> mm. So let's, uh, so yeah, so towards the end of the record, they start to mesh those things pretty consistently. Let's listen. Here are some cool drum sounds. I mean, I think I feel like that part is earned by all the cool stuff, by like all the energetic stuff before. Um, oh, that's interesting. But because I was listening to it, and I was thinking what we need here on this big slow riff is like a chiming kind of synth melody. Because you, you can hear the outline of how it descends across that riff. Da, 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 you know. Uh, like kind of Seer Bliss style, you know? Yeah, no, I think there's de- you're right that there's definitely more room for the keys and the sound, and it would make this a little bit more than, you know, as is, this is kind of a uh, very stripped back, slow burn Bill Skernier riff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, or something of that sort, right? Yeah, and if you added keys, it would fill out the sonic space in a cool way. Um but yeah, before that, you know, you could hear that sort of cascading, rough kind of uh, single string trem stuff uh, trading with those big sort of barbarian power chord parts. And the drums on the blast beats, I really liked. I think, I think you know, there's good blasting all over this record, but like with the thinner guitar sound, you can really hear that sort of, um, you know, that St. Anger snare, right? Which, yeah, uh, you got the percussion. You know, which I love. Uh, 
yeah you you really hear sound quality in 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 the drums um and uh rather than sort of tapping right uh yeah and they're they're up front in a pretty cool way which is something we'll get into with the next band um but like i feel like there you've got bringing it back to the concern of outlaw rock uh this term we've come up with for this all this american black metal stuff doesn't really work like black metal or metal anymore Mm -hmm. um uh bring it back to that idea well a lot of those bands have those kinds of like big sort of um big single string trem to like sort of uh bashing power chord parts right you've got your uh you know, Mortem does that a lot. Elegiac did it more on this last record. Into Oblivion has the high IQ version of that. Um, and uh, this, so this seems to fit well into that. Uh, and it also has these shades of emo and screamo and stuff, which you've identified as it's this other really distinctively American guitar sound feeding into nowadays black metal. So like, I feel like towards the end of the record, they start to approach something like this outlaw rock sound we've found in other bands. And the question is mm -hmm. whether they want to go that way or whether, do, do you think they should go that way? Or do you think they should go in the more French direction? Or do you think these are compatible because that very emotional riff at the end was kind of French? I think they're kind of compatible because I think the, the mm -hmm. outlaw rock riffing style we've been talking about is ultimately Franco-Finnish in origin. You know what I mean? I think that is the, in terms of black metal, that's the sort of like founding part of it. And then I think what makes it outlaw rock is the incorporation of country and emo and uh, American hard rock, these sort of like intrinsically American ideas. So I don't know. I think lots of stompy, I mean, stompy hardcore from the mysterious guy soon. Yeah, yeah, stompy one. hardcore. Uh, you know, kind of garage rock stuff. It's it's a lot of things. I mean, we we're making the genre right now on this podcast. So sure. I, I I agree. I mean, certainly we are not the uh, we we won't necessarily have the last say in that. But um, yes, it's uh, it's certainly a direction this band could go in, uh, and certainly like if it all ends up sounding like the last couple tracks, or maybe you know synthesized more with the couple you picked, right? It would definitely fit into that tradition. Definitely. So uh, overall. All right. uh, Fun record. Looking forward to these guys, like, working on it a little bit more, figuring out exactly what they want to do. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch for future material. So, uh, real right, quick, cool. uh, so, in terms of an interlude, what should we do? I don't have anything now. I, I feel like every time you ask that, you have something in mind. So... <laughs> I actually don't do in this case, but... I, I, but you know what? Here's what we'll do. Let's go beyond metal. Let's go to some of the stuff that I talk about as being fundamental to outlaw rock. Let's just go with Dylan, man. All right, cool. Yeah, I've been listening to more Dylan on your, in part, because you've been bringing it up in relation to this stuff. Yeah, and you realize he's like the most black metal American folk guy ever. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't, I don't know about that exactly, but he's definitely got a certain kind. He's definitely cool. Definitely really cool. Definitely got a lot of wisdom. Well, um, let's just go with, uh, you know, I'm not going to do some like cool guy deep cut shit. Let's just go with uh, the times they are a changing, man. It's an outstanding track. Okay. And uh, we'll listen to that. And All we'll right, be back cool. With the uh, back half for our show. Come gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing Critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside region Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing It is drawn, the curse it is cast The slow one now will later be fast As the present now will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now will later be last For the times they are a-changing All right, and we are back after some sick-ass Dylan beats uh, with Oveger's East Blood on Ash and Dominion. And I, you brought him onto the show, so I assume that uh, you've got some experience with these guys. 
Uh, yeah, Olvigor is a cool band. Uh, I have not owned one of their albums before, although I did just buy this one on Bandcamp, thanks to a uh, Christmas gift from one of my best bros. Uh, but um, <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, they had a really cool album before called uh, Where the Ice Cold Blood Storms. That's, uh, what, what a what a fucking black metal album title. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that kind of kind of sort of captures the ethos of the band, which is it's it is extremely Slavic sounding, but whereas people tend to associate Slavic stuff with either sort of lush druidic atmospherics or sort of brutal droning abstraction like Hate Forest or kind of swirling atmosphere, swirling droning abstraction like BBH. Right, this is a very this is basically Hate Forest and to some extent BBH guitar technique being just um, being front-loaded into bulldozer aggressive black metal, right? Um, yeah. Uh, th- these guys have some relation back to um, back to the earlier Ukrainian scene. Um, they were uh, they were both in a band called Runes of Dion set, who were pretty crazy. Um, and they both play in a band called Ig that was uh, Ig that's pretty popular online. Ig YGG that's one of the names of Odin is um, Ig is uh, like popular. It's one of those popular on the internet kind of atmo black bands, you know, sl- atmospheric Slavic black metal. I don't like that band very much, but um, this is really really good. Um, oh yeah, and this also has guys who were in chorus at one point. A guy who was in chorus is in this. Um, so there's some uh, common DNA going back into the Ukrainian scene. Um, and I think what struck me back when I heard Where the Ice Cold Bloodstorms is that it's just uh, one of the few guitarists to really bother getting inside the kind of technique that Sanko developed but certainly not ripping it off and um, doing, in some ways, taking a sound that's already extremely minimalistic and making it even more minimalistic. Mm-hmm. And sort of ratcheting up the aggression to a point where, you know, maybe only the early Hate Forest demos or some of those recent, like, pre-Cambrian recordings come close, right? Uh, and, yeah, so let's just... Uh, yeah, you have any other overall thoughts about that? I, I know you've got some notes on sort of classic Norse influences in this. Um, yeah, I, I do, but I'll I'll get to them when mm-hmm. the relevant samples occur. Sure. So, uh, yeah, we'll just go in with your shit. All right, yeah, I think a lot of these songs have kind of, um, maybe not portmanteaus, but just sort of compound words that just sound cool. So the first one is Jotentre, which I think would mean maybe it means tree i don't know giant something second one is dot mork which i guess just means probably something like death shadow or you know uh uh the third one is vargold not sure what old is but varg is obviously wolf we've got ice blood is blood we've got dunkel storm night storm and then we've got Askvind, right so ash wind so they've just gone through scandinavian like they've just gone through norse and german making fucking cool sounding black metal words which is <laughs> which so, we always respect on this show th- thoroughly approve yes so why don't we just start with uh, a minute and a half into Yoden Trey this is the first track on the album I dance on. 
Slavic black metal go burr. <laughs> it definitely go burr. That's uh well it's interesting because these are sort of traditional Slavic black metal songs, but compressed so hard. Like all the songs are like two, three riff songs. Yeah, and I mean some some Slavic black metal songs are like two or three riffs. Like some hate for us songs are basically two or three riffs, but they're like six minutes. Whereas this is this is on the longer side for this record. This is five twenty. Um well, no, Isblood's actually 840, So, but the record itself is very short. And, um, yes, it is extremely minimalistic. Um, it uh, We dropped uh, started off in this kind of, like, ripping D-beat section, right? You got these kind of octave swoop riffs that, you know, I think we'd say come from Marduk generally, although it also weirdly reminded me of Viga Dude when I heard that, who were influenced by a similar... Slavic black metal, Mariuk, all yeah, that. No, but, Viga um, Dude is Viga Dude is definitely a hardcore interpretation of Slavic black metal. I would say. Yeah, people think of Viga Dude as a post-black band, and maybe there was a bit of that on their first record. But it's it, they're just extremely intense and extremely legitimate as a BM band. But yeah, so here you basically get like the basic, yeah, the the basic machinery of this record. Um. What I one thing I liked about it, I suppose, is that the um, you went from that sort of octave swoop riff into another variation on the same style, but like um, with these more textured chords, and suddenly that thing that's basically like a Marduk riff, which is not what you are supposed to, like not the cliche Slavic black metal thing. Suddenly, that's basically the climax. Uh, yeah, you know and you get this sort of like tight, you know, tight whiplashing power chords and it swoops up to that fifth um, in a way that makes it sound really epic in a way it might not otherwise. But then, boom, big, massive, strangely shaped, like 16 bar long Blazeberth Hall kind of melody thing, right? Yeah, no, I I think that, um, God, who would I compare this to? Um, from last year, uh, one of our favorite records of last year, I just have to, uh, remember what the, uh, what the band was called. It's, Norwegian it's late on Bl- Sunday, guys. It oh, is. Gendod. Gendod, exactly. That is what I would compare this band most clearly to that we've covered before. This is very... This is sort of a minimal Gendod, who are already kind of minimal themselves. But uh, Gendod, like, strings together a massive number of very minimal riffs. Olvegar mm-hmm. is just like, here's our three riffs. You enjoy it or you don't. And here you go. <laughs> Yeah, Olvegar, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, Gendot is more trying for a certain kind of dramatic structure in each song. This this band gets its drama. This is the a band that has sort of a rigorous version of the here's a riff, here's a riff, here's a riff approach, where it's like, because the structure is relatively blocked off, it stands or falls with the way that each riff feeds into the next. And so, like, it stands or falls on pure melody and rhythm. And this band does that really well. And a thing I'll get to with my next sample also is you could hear that when they want to open it up a little more, they can. 
but they're completely in control of that, and they always dial it back in, right? Yeah, this is very, um, shit, is there a thing such as uh, post-BBH? I mean, <laughs> like, uh, this might be, like, post-Blazebirth Hall, in a way. Um, clearly, Blazebirth Hall is a big influence in the melodic structure of this material, but uh, the the sort of like resolute percussive viciousness of this music points to stuff that it is a lot more conventional in a way. Like a, like you said, Marduk. I would say Dark Funeral is like a big point for this band. Who, again, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but Dark Funeral is a very underrated black metal band amongst uh, serious black metal people, I would say. I think they're actually excellent, and they've just been kind of ghettoized into, oh, it's like blast beats and tremolo riffs, man. They were they were everyone's go-to for explaining the Norse core sound, right? But, yeah, but now yeah, that yeah. we're over that, now that we're over that era, it's a little easier to step back and reevaluate it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um... So speaking within, of within the yeah go oh no I was I was gonna lean to the next sample unless you have something else mm-hmm. oh I was just gonna say within the Slavic scene you could compare it to things that are uh, the stuff that people don't stereotypically associate with the scene as much you could compare it to Astrophase especially the earlier stuff um, like through the eyes of the beast or whatever Astrophase has a lot of more traditional kind of Scandi black stuff on it and. A friend of mine once compared the energy in Astrophase Records to, like, uh, Sodom, which gives you an idea. Um, the yeah. uh, uh, Something like that. There's also, in terms of, like, being literally after Blazebirth Hall, there's that Nitberg full length, which is basically BBH guys doing a uh, their own sort of interpretation of a big big sprawling aggressive black metal album i could hear a similarity there also do you remember old wayne's i don't i barely remember how that band sounds but they were definitely closer to a an eccentric take on down the line black metal right they're oh, from I, Russia, I, right i always tie old wayne's to shit like uh i mean it's been forever since i've actually listened to it but i always tied it to stuff like uh nigger at least like the uh the early stuff by them Hmm. Um, of being like, being like definitively Slavic, but kind of abstract at the same time. Yeah, I don't remember it well. I, 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 I remember associating old wins with like a more kind of power cordy aggro approach, but it, it's been years. So who knows? Um, yeah. all right. So, so let's go to your sample. So dot morke, um, this is where this album struck me, listening to the second track. We're just going to listen to the opening couple minutes, and I will talk about a few aspects of this band that really strike me. Um, the big one being the drumming, so pay attention to that on this sample. <laughs> Thank you. 
dude, this album is all about the drums, I believe. Yeah, the drums are great. It's, um... The drums have a very death metal quality to them, I would say. It almost strikes me a little bit like uh, Derek Roddy from, like, Hate Eternal. It's like, it's a river of blast beats, but the way those blast beats are applied is very important. Like, they are suggesting an even greater aggression than they manifest in the playing. You know, the way the the blast beat starts, you know, a, a half note before the riff begins sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, it's it's going in. It has an impossible fucking savage energy to it. Uh, it's just, it's outstanding. And within those blast beats, there are wonderful musical elements like these sort of like chiming ride cymbal ideas. Uh, there's a musicality to it that strikes me beyond a lot of black metal performances like this. Yeah, no, it's that's great blasting. It's certainly being done. It's being done intentionally rather than as a default, right? That'd be mm. one way of putting it. It's like this guy means to blast. You also identified that kind of blasting on um, pre-Cambrian, right? Um, yes, yes. So. So I think to some extent, this kind of blasting is just, hang on, sneeze, uh, becoming more uh, common in, uh, I guess, nowadays Slavic BM. Um, but I, I understand what you mean about the death metal thing. Hate Eternal definitely seems right. Also, the way they've just pushed the snare way to the fore yeah. um, in the mix. And you were saying interesting things about the timing, too. Like, Or, or that's something, certainly something... I heard as well as like he, uh, the drummer is playing, he's not neatly following the rhythm of the the guitar, he, or the, uh, you don't just get fills where the riff ends, right? Yeah. And he's doing uh, things with the fills, he's doing things with the fills that like punctuate the middle of the riff, uh, things like that. Yeah, no, it's not, um... Because in a lot of black metal, the blast beat just like functions as a sort of hypnotic background rhythm. That's not the case here. The drums are way up front in the production. Um, You're clearly supposed to pay attention to it, at least as Mm -hmm. much as the guitars, if not more. Um, It's just like incredibly savage music which is kind of like Yendod like yeah, we were and, talking about before yeah and and like Yendod it's two dudes so you could really see it as a pretty even partnership between the uh Helg who's doing the vocals guitars and bass and uh Odolf who's doing the drums uh but um and then they've oh they've also got some a guest on lead guitars uh named uh Starg but um but yeah, so it's a fairly even partnership. Um, I do really like the riffing in, on this record, in part because of its sort of uh, discipline, uh, and because it's just there is almost nothing that is done to. There are very few like attention grabbing kinds of riffs. It's just all solid, really solid riffing. Um, but uh, 
let's go to uh, the middle of, or a, about a minute into Vargold, because I think we've, we've got something more about the timing there, too. It's an interesting thing to talk about because I was going to say, well, but a lot of that's kind of like post-black riffing, but post-black is mostly just descended from like a BBH riffing. So it's kind of hard to find the origin, you know? Yeah, most of that is, that's just pure Slavic black metal riffing. That that thing at, the thing at the beginning is really like Hate Forest more than BBH even. There are like abstract swirling parts in the middle of Hate Forest songs. This whole sample was like the more, this is the most hate foresty song on the record. Um, and it's, it's cool because this band is not, um, it's clearly inspired in that tradition, but I've never heard of this band as sounding like a clone of that or a tribute to that. Um, it's just oh, a continuation. Um, so what was cool about that first riff that, you know, yeah, definitely atmospheric, uh, you know, it definitely does get kind of close to that Devil Groth stuff we were talking about last week from Siberia, right? Uh, yeah. In terms of, like, how how that riff... I found that riff just difficult to sample part of, so I just chose the whole thing. It's yeah. like uh, where, the, where a vocal pattern ends is maybe in the middle of the riff, and then the places where the drums accent often fall in different spots in the middle of the riff, and they're all, they're all kind of... Uh, See, at least seem to start in different places and cross each other in these interesting ways, which is kind of related to that feeling we got at the end of the Devil Growth, where it was like, in some of those parts, you can't find the one rhythmically, right? Yeah. 
and there's this kind of way that like it's very difficult to uh figure out where the you haven't really heard the whole riff until you've heard all of its iterations like there is a there is a melody there that repeats probably like eight times 16 times but it's a lot longer than you initially think and like it's uh once you're in it it's very hard to figure out where it stops except right when it stops right that's great drumming they lock right back in dum 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 you know that's and you know that is a uh and then you go into that rolling part which is you know very very hate foresty but like uh it's a pretty cool idea where they've like although their goals are very different from the more far out slavic bands they've taken they clearly get the most abstract parts of those bands and they're just um they're using it for a targeted effect within certain songs you know which is pretty cool well, yeah. Well, like, uh, while we were listening, I mentioned that, uh, that big riff, that dun, 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 mm-hmm. that's a, uh, sort of motif variation of a riff off the first sample you played. Um, and I think that's something that goes across this record. There's like a, a handful of distinct melodic roots Mm-hmm. And then there's just variations off them. Which is something we're noticing more and more with, like, cool black metal bands. Like, they're acknowledging that. They're doing distinct, obvious variations of these simple, melodic ideas that they're obsessed with. For whatever reason. Um, and I think that that's one of the strengths of this record. Is this rigorous consistency I would say that it's not like all the way there yet they need a few more like huge dramatic ideas um, no they don't that's that's oh, you do. that's your personal taste that's your personal taste bud oh, that's, okay. which is I, fair I, that's I, it's, I, I'm being it's very not cruel to your rule here <laughs> It's it's not to your personal taste, right? Which is fair. But, like, this is... Uh, this band has been... I mean, they've been at it for, like, a decade. So, it's it's not, like... It's not a new band. This is just kind of how they sound. Um, it's I mean, the I refusal... I think the refusal of those big moments is crucial. And I feel like, at least from my perspective, like, those big flowing trem passages, like, those are the big climax parts. I mean, I, I get that. And, hey, don't talk shit. I, Forrest is one of my favorite bands of all time, and they don't have riffs. Period. So, but that's... Forrest, Forrest has, Forrest has um, relatively catchy, melodic ideas in it, right? You know, especially compared to the other BBH bands. But I'm yeah, not but talking they play shit. them for eight minutes at a time. So. Yeah, I, I'm not talking shit about your taste. I'm saying that is your taste, but, like, this band is clearly after something else. Well, yeah, I would just say I, I have no problem with them repeating the climax several times on an album. That's fine. I just think that for these guys, like, I like the 
I like the k- kind of like mechanistic savagery of this music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just like a couple more types of melodies would add a lot to it to me. Yeah, I mean, they could. There's certainly all the material here to make something more ambitious if they wanted. Uh, I think what I like about this record is it punches above its weight class. It doesn't, um, it has way more going on in it in terms of melody, harmony, rhythm, uh, percussive drumming attack, uh, crazy vocals. It's got way more going on than initially signals. Uh, Mm -hmm. because it has this extremely, it sets itself, it like sets itself these very limited parameters, which you might identify with limited ambitions. Like we're just going to make a quick ripping black metal album and then like dramatically overperforms within those parameters. Uh So like, yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that they could do something more ambitious if they wanted to. And, you know, it is true that this record is, uh, it's true that like this record is relatively short. Right. Um, and I think yeah. generally they release relatively short. I think the idea is, you know, you, you distill all the best riffs down. You have just these very tight songs you get in, you get out on each record, but like, yeah, I think I think they could write something more expansive for sure, and they clearly have other riffing styles up their sleeves. Well, in terms of expansive songs, mm-hmm. wonderful segue. All right, <laughs> my last sample. It's off the uh, title track is "Blood." Uh, this is an immortal song. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly which one it is. I'm convinced it is literally an immortal song, but uh, I did some scanning through what I knew from immortal and I wasn't able to find it exactly, but I do think it's a pastiche of some ideas of some of the less known songs off Sons of Northern Darkness and maybe At the Heart of Winter, which I'm not as acquainted with. I, so, I like at the heart of winter. So let's let's see. Yeah, I, I know you might know. Well. So uh, yeah. let's uh, check off the middle section of East Blood.
by hand to God, that is an immortal song. I just don't know which one it is. <laughs> then it's great, right? It's very good. No, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I think that, if anything, more people should be ripping off uh, all of Immortals' work. Uh, you know, the idea, a lot of people have talked about, like, I remember when we were coming up in Black Metal, people talked about Immortal clones. And all of those bands that I would listen to didn't actually sound like Immortal, because Immortal's riffing style is extremely distinct. And uh, very unusual compared to the rest of black metal because they're basically thrash riffs that just are very trebly in the production. So people think they're black metal riffs. Well, um, and people have talked about them as being closely related to Morbid Angel, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They, they were always kind of the most like death thrash of black metal mm-hmm. bands. Yeah. Um, but then you get. Albums like Bowels in the North, which are totally singular. Nobody's ever fully replicated that sound. It's just pure genius, you know. Uh, But this, I think, is very tightly tied to late Immortal, especially Sons of Northern Darkness. Um, Because I I was listening to this, and I was listening against against it to uh, some... Uh, late Immortal stuff, and I think there's threads you can pull on some of the forgotten songs off Sons of Northern Darkness, like uh, uh, Beyond the North Waves, Antarctica, maybe uh, In My Kingdom Cold, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the drumming was never that relaxed on Immortal, but it's impossible to listen to this and not hear Immortal doing fucking Nordland by Bathory, you know? Yeah, I think these um these bands have or uh I think Immortal has especially the later Immortal stuff has had a big influence or but a subtle one. Yeah, one people haven't noticed that much on just what kind of epic or heathen sounding black metal sounds like now. Mm-hmm. Um and definitely on the turn towards more sort of consonant melody and stuff for sure. Uh and also maybe I think that was always I, I there's there's another band called Blutfan B L U T F A H N E uh from Ukraine who also have a lot of immortal in their sound like more than this like there are kind of like those kind of big epic immortal lead runs although there are all few of those on this record um and uh and so that synthesis seems to be big in Ukraine right now. Um, yeah. and, and more than that, uh, it was always kind of built into hate forest. Uh, if you were to take maybe, I, obviously I, I spent a lot of time thinking about hate forest. Uh, and if you were to take like five, maybe bands that they were referencing, it'd be something like Eternus, Hades, Bolt Thrower, uh, Immortal would be up there. Uh, what's, what's the fifth? It's. Oh, Graveland. Yeah. But um, it's like, it, it's, it really would be like a cluster of those. And, and I think back in the day, people used to compare Hate Forest to Immortal more. I think now that that sort of whole sound has become its own niche, people don't even bother comparing it to stuff because it's just yeah. canonical. But like, um, it, that kind of sort of sheets of uh, 
sheets of semi-dissonant chord, you can definitely hear in a lot of Immortal stuff, right? And the sort of continuous blast in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, looks like the Immortal is coming to the surface here. Yeah, that one's pretty epic. I listened to that last night, walking around in under 20 degrees Fahrenheit at night, so that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, good record. Uh, I definitely want to check out the older stuff, see how it stacks up, and uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break, get back to our last album of the night. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back with Pan American Native Front with uh, the second full-length record, Little Turtles War. And uh, I think that you've actually listened to uh, Tecumseh's War, the first record. Is that correct? Nah, not really. Years ago. I mean, I might have... I think I checked it out. I think it sounded... Uh, yeah, Tecumseh's War was, like, I think more in the vein of the most kind of... Uh, dark throny kind of black and roll moments on the on the split um at least that's what i re- the impression i remember it could have been that there was this band has quite a bit of range so it could have been just that was the part i clicked on years ago i don't want to i don't want to be like i don't want to claim knowledge of something i don't know yeah. about you don't want to um, be authoritative about it <laughs> yeah no um but uh we did uh on episode 26 which is still one of the best we've done we did review the pan american native front and ifernox split right uh and that was a great one and that was a big moment for our ongoing conversation about a specifically american black metal sound and we discussed that in relation to bands like mortem that had a kind of euro aspect on that and since then we've extended that in all sorts of places old one gash has this kind of country western vibe we've followed that to um elegiac the other week right um when we talked about the notion of outlaw rock and uh we definitely think that that idea of a sort of um american distinctly sort of black metal derived american sound that isn't really black metal anymore uh definitely also applies to a bunch of the stuff that's getting associated with the native scene and also with the kind of uh mexican and mexican and central american scene so we've got uh you know the maquahitl that we covered the other the other week right would fall into this well how are we going to define outlaw rock well, it is, it's black metal, in a sense, and then you have these threads of distinctly American movements, American country music, emo, garage rock, blues, all this stuff, and then you kind of gestate it into a whole. Yeah, I think the other central thing is that it's a shift in sort of thematics and energy right so like this is the the general idea of black metal moving from this sort of nocturnal or lunar form to being at least in some parts of the world increasingly solar right or the idea of moving from this sort of uh you know in some sense elitist but extremely anti-social ideal right to a more kind of mature idea of a certain kind of nobility right and so in europe that has become in Europe, you know, that's the chivalric French bands or whatever, or uh, 
that is the Italian bands, right? Spite Extreme Wing and all that. Um, over here, that that model is much more like the the outlaw, right? The uh, the sort of the 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 cowboy and or Indian, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. so and so here, uh, that's the distinctively American version of this type, and uh, and that's a thing that makes it both very much derived from the BM tradition, but uh, kind of distinct, at this point, very distinct. And as you said, all these elements of things that are very extrinsic to the original language of black metal makes it, uh, yeah, makes it different. But this record, yeah. I think, compared to Makwahedal or Oldowan Gash or even Elegiac, I feel like this does feel a lot more like a down-the-line black metal record. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. This is more like black metal, but obviously, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if this is a an idea we're going to define, it's going to involve records which blur those lines. Yeah, of course, um, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a very important one. Um, mm -hmm. Because I would say, as far as outlaw rock goes, defining it, uh, the big one, like, there's things before it, but the big thing that, like, strikes out to us, I mm -hmm. would say, is uh, Kansu, Pistola, and La Mano by Mako yeah. Hedl. Like, that mm -hmm. is, that is a fucking bullet in the direction of this idea that we've been talking about. So, maybe we should talk about the music, huh? Um, let's go yeah, to... Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so let's go to power of the calumet dance um i think that this record shows that panf has really uh made good on a lot of the strengths of the split uh with ivernock um i mean clearly these tracks were probably all recorded before that split came out but you know what i mean right uh yeah. and on that record, I I pointed to say I, I said that like the kind of default blast riffing was maybe the the weaker spot, like a little bit too rooted in this sort of like standard yeah. standard evil black metal kind of Slayer scale power chord stuff, Dark Throne stuff. But there were other moments also of blasting that were just absolutely ripped and had really cool sort of dense harmonies in them. And here, that's basically just the default blast sound. And so I'm quite happy about that. Let's check it out.
So that's a part that like, and it's got one riff or two riffs and these kind of predictable change-ups, right? That was almost two minutes of blasting. Um, and there were probably like four or five different riffs in there, some of which don't recur. Yeah. Uh, and a really nice uh, range of sound quality. Like, so you get that initial blasting riff, which I've always said, I said before too, this guy's more textured blast parts really remind me of Nid and Division 187. This kind of like alternate idea of war metal that comes just w within black metal. Kind of just grinding dissonant chords, a lot of sort of churn with the drums. Uh, and you've got that, but then you've got just this big smashing pentatonic power chords. And then we're firmly in this kind of American outlaw scene, right? And you can yeah. hear how it relates to, you can hear how it relates to native music for sure. You can also see how it relates to native music as it's represented in the movies, right? And all that. Um, and which is which is an shifting, but thing to shift, talk about, you know, which is yeah, uh, like our idea of native music, even amongst a lot of native guys who didn't necessarily grow up on the res, so to speak, they're understanding of the culture is obviously inflected from like film and popular culture and i think reconquering that and readopting it is an important part of the sort of spiritual essence of it if you know what i mean a, a little bit yeah i would say a lot of these guys are probably make have gone to made an effort to be familiar with their obviously with whatever has been preserved of their native traditions, right? Uh, but, like, yeah. I think there's definitely an effort to uh, incorporate... Sure, yeah, you sort of... Um, part of the image we've been given is through Hollywood, and how do you how do you reappropriate that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing it relates to gener generally with this is, like... Uh, you know, there was that whole thing back in the day of like, oh, don't call us noble savages, right? You know, that's the sort of stereotype projected by the, you know. And it's like, well, you know, well, that's what black metal is about, right? <laughs> black metal, <laughs> black when, metal is about the noble savage. Exactly. So whether whether you call that, whether you call it the barbarian or the, uh, you know, the, the, the overlord or the whatever, right? It's, it's, it's something, yes, that, that fits right into that. So in some sense it is... Um, leaning in to that kind of uh, b sort of warrior archetype that was presented in the movies, right? Yeah, mm. I get that. Mm. No, I think um, I think a big part of this music is the idea of we have a a perception of native culture and we have the reality of it. And there are elements of truth to the uh, the popularized depiction of it. And how do we, not we, as like a random white guy, but uh, how does someone take that essence that people are so familiar with and reincorporate it with the reality to make it more powerful? 
Yeah. How do you how do you tap into the parts that authentically resonate with you and that have some truth to them? That makes sense. And, you know, in a certain sense, that's what black metal did with folk music, too. Right. Because they were dealing with maybe we already talked about this in episode 26. But, you know, if you think about like ideas of folk music in black metal or what sounds epic or what sounds barbarian, often those are just strongly inflected by the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think that was, like, literally a musical influence on Graveland um, uh, and, and on Bathory, for sure. And, and so folk music, as you get it in these suggestions of folk in music, in popular music, popular culture, and in uh, maybe also in classical music, which itself, of course, doesn't have a direct relationship to that. But, yeah, it's like, how do you take that... Um, how do you take this stuff that sounds ancient and give it a kind of, uh, make it more than a reference point, right? Yeah, um, because, like, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit, uh, like, between sections. Like, the idea that all of us in North America have grown up with our parents' music, which is a lot more kind of unified than our music. So these are indelible, unarguable parts of our musical and artistic DNA. We must incorporate them in some sense. Whether they are correct or authentic or something like that or not, they are a part of how we understand art. And we must reckon with that to a degree, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's something about reclaiming, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd associate it specifically with our parents, I see what you mean, I, th- I think we were talking about parents' generation in relation to, like, stuff like Dylan, right, and this kind of yeah. boomer rock music that has made its way back into into a lot of this newer stuff, but, um... What what sample do you want to go to next? Uh, I've got another one from early in the record, but if you want to, uh... If you want to take one now, we could do that too. Yeah, sure. Oh. I mean, I, I, I can Although, jump on one of mine. But yeah, uh, jump on. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so here's one uh, off a later track on the record. It's called "The Great White Beaver Lurks." Um. So there's been a a variety of kind of like slow black metal songs throughout mm-hmm. black metal history, these kind of funereal black metal dirges. Mm-hmm. But this one has its own essence because I, I think we talked about on the uh, the review last year of the Ephronach and Pan American split that this feels like a drummer band. It's a one-man project, but it feels like drums are the main texture of this music. And I think this is a yeah, track for sure, for sure. That, yeah, I think this is a track that really evidences that. Uh, so let's listen to this and talk a little bit about what we hear in terms of uh, percussion being the primary voice of this music.
so isn't this basically like an attempt to establish a an American Bathory in a way? Um well yeah, I mean I think the Bathory is huge for elegiac too, right? Um Yeah. And definitely Yeah, I hear that. So so how do you mean? It has to do with the drums there, right? The kind of hammer heart drums. Yeah, extremely hammerheart or bloodfire death. Definitely in that very last section of the sample, you get that ride cymbal kicking in. And uh, mm -hmm. it's it, it's kind of like uh, this very insistent um, accent on the ride cymbal. This uh, it's a it's a blacksmith hammering a sword. Dun 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 dun. You know, well, it's probably, like a, probably not a probably not a sword. Maybe a maybe a war club, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, you know, well, that's the important thing is that all these things blur together. You know, part of our whatever we want to interpret as our cultural history. You know. Yeah, we've. I think we talked before about how some of the movies and things rely heavily on certain troped sonic cues, and a lot of the same cues that were used for Indians were also used for Vikings, right? Like bum 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 oh, yeah. bum 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 you know, bum, yeah. bum 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 bum. I think bum, one of the parts. Bum bum bum. Right, you I think know. one of the, I think one of the important parts about understanding this kind of music, is to get away from the idea of what is real, what is a distant cultural memory, what is, uh, you know, the idea of authenticity is important but ultimately not as relevant as how do we define ourselves today uh, i don't know i mean I, i'm not sure i subscribe to that distinction in the same way um but it definitely uh i i hear what you mean about uh that there's so much of this that involves the creative creative work on a certain legacy and work within a work within certain parameters at a given situation. Uh, I think that's right. It comes out of, yeah, it, it comes, comes out of this extended sense of tradition. Um, but again, you know, I would be, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure all of these guys are deeply interested in their sort of indigenous music and folk ways, right? Um, and that, that comes in in various ways. Uh, yeah. And I think I think that resonates. You know, a funny thing about with the drum forward. This we might have talked about this on episode twenty six too. But so much of a podcast is repeating yourself for new people, <laughs> reminders, and you know, people listen to half the show or whatever. But like, also the idea of like um, another classic. Here's a good example. Like, here's a trope that has something to do with reality, right? Like drumming, important in actual Native American, nor you know, Northern Native American culture, right? Uh, mm. Right, like you know, medicine drums, whatever. I don't know enough about it to give you anything more than that, right? But like shamanic drumming, ritual drumming, whatever. In the movies, right, it's the trope of, oh God, you know, Jim, Jim, do you hear them war drums? Like, like they're coming, like, uh, and 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 here, uh, here, that's that's clearly a thing that's being owned, 
right? It's like, okay, you know, we're associated with these, like, war drums prior to scalping time. All right. Here they are, right? And this track is a very, like, war drums track. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's go to this next one, Battle of the Wabash. This is where we're dialing it back. This record has a strongly narrative feeling. Um, a lot of these tracks are longer than you might expect and have big shifts in them. And I feel like he pretty much always pulls it off. There are even some tracks that basically, like the album has an overture, basically. And we were talking before about how that's a difficult thing to do. But, you know, the album itself and a few songs just have beginnings where there's just a bunch of riffs and then something will happen, like a rifle fires or something, and then the song starts. Yeah. Um, but it's always enjoyable to hear that stuff. Um, and, you know, it obviously it ties back to the idea that he wants this record to be them thematically commemorating Little Turtles War, which I should have looked up before we started talking about this. However, I'm sure everyone else who reviews this will talk about oh, I, Little I, War. I did some research. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's pretty interesting because it was uh, much closer to the American Revolution than a lot of people probably imagine. It's only like 10 years after that it started. And this is And this is located where? Uh, around uh, what would have been the Ohio Territory, the Northwest Territory of the United States. Um, I so, won't talk so about the it upper too Midwest. Much. Yeah, I won't talk about it too much just because it's a very intricate kind of conflict. But Little Turtle was a major war chief of a band of various native tribes at the time. Um who fought very aggressively to protect the western area beyond the Ohio River as native territory, basically, um, uh, resulting in some of the most dramatic losses of the American army at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, went on for... Probably 10 years, some of it blended into the War of 1812 a little bit mm -hmm. later. But a uh, very interesting forgotten part of American history, I would say. Word. Okay, yeah. And that is one of the good things that black metal albums can do, right? Is We talked about that a little bit with um, Old Scare, too, right? They're writing about this bizarre episode where the British military shelled... Um, the capital of shelled Copenhagen. Right? Yeah. Um, that's not something anybody has heard about. Right. But, um, uh, th there's this way of, um, creating alternate histories, right. Within, within this yeah, music. Yeah. Uh, so, and bringing those certainly to audiences that probably wouldn't be aware of it otherwise. So let's go to the battle of the Wabash. Um, yeah, here he's just done that thing where there's an overture, a gunshot, and a two-riff sequence without vocals. And he's just repeated those. He's done those two riffs. And now he's going to repeat those two riffs with vocals. And it sounds great. So, uh...
Espresso. That was exciting, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, and so this is a kind of similar mechanism to the one I was doing before, uh, highlighting before on Power of the Calumet Dance, where uh, you get several different voicings of a single mood. So mm -hmm. this part is supposed to feel, I mean, God, most of this record feels epic and martial, right? But here we get of specifically of riffs with that color. So riffs that are outside kind of aggro or dissonant black metal territory. You get, uh, you get two voicings, right? First you get the sort of, um, barbarian or noble savage pentatonic, right? And then, uh, this sort of brash chest thumping sort of, uh, thing right off with blasts and then we slow and it drops into this kind of slightly melancholy french riff right and that's an example of as you said that style being pretty fundamental for a lot of these american bands but like yeah. he doesn't he doesn't sit there that's just one tool he uses and then um you know, we we move on into this solo that's extremely aggressive, which I like. Uh, but when I heard that big riff, I thought, I know that riff. <laughs> and it took me it took me a minute to find it. I don't know that this is, you know, I did he consciously say I want to write something inspired by this? Who knows? Has he heard this record? Probably, because I'm sure this guy knows all the deep cuts, right? But um yeah. Here is uh, the climax of Under the Sign of the Beast from Dornu Foglith by Osculum and Fom. <laughs> I have not heard that, but that is my new favorite band. So. <laughs> right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's so. so good. Holy shit, man. And that is the, they didn't play that riff in that song. That's like way well into that song. I think it's like eight minutes in. Um, they haven't played that riff before. That. Uh-oh, cat disaster. How did you know? Yep, my cat's knocked over a bunch of shit. Anyway, go on. <laughs> 
Uh, well, at that point, they've already played just a bunch of different sick riffs that are melodically related to it. And then that's the payoff right there at the end of the track. Um, but yeah, so Osculum uh, and Fom kind of at the root of a lot of the French black metal that's been extremely influential. They have connections to Senior Volande, they have connections to Bikira, um, and uh, there's there's that riffing style there. And it's it's you can hear it's a little bit more flamboyant, right, on the more flamboyant yeah. side. Uh, and and this guy, so this guy takes an idea like that and he puts it over this sort of really sturdy rolling six eight kind of vibe, uh, and changes the mood a lot. But he keeps that kind of um, I don't know. I just think it's you know I like riffing a lot like that when it's done in this uh, uh, you know there it really it really does have a climactic feel in in uh, Battle of the Wabash in the same way it does in that other song, um. Yeah, I get that. So, um, so but ultimately, last I mean, sample. here's yeah, last sample. This is off the closing track. This is the final passage off the closing track. Actually, uh, this track is called uh, "Bear with Me." Uh, Nakaniaki. Oh God! Oh no! Don't do it, Death Battle guy. Don't even attempt it. <laughs> Nakaniaki. Uh, Miqui Libakini Siki. And, uh, I'm comfortable saying that for the people listening to us, this is outlaw rock. To give it some context, this is a long track, and, uh, this passage is coming off the very end of what is, I would argue, unmistakably a an American emo clean guitar passage. 